Our Father, we come this morning asking that you would indeed allow our souls to be still and to hear you as God. Father, we ask that you would come by your spirit and that you would open our ears and our hearts to follow closely after you. May we stand amazed at your love and your work of grace in our lives. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. A question for you this morning. What is your greatest need in life? If you are ill, you might answer healing. If you're unemployed, you may say, I, I need some finances. If you're in a broken relationship, you may, might want wisdom or strength. This morning, we will see that Jesus addresses deeper heart issues in our lives. But at the same time, in our passage that we will see, he meets the most apparent immediate needs also. For context, we're still in the first chapter of the Gospel of Mark. Jesus has just begun his public ministry after his baptism by John the Baptist. He was tempted in the wilderness. He has called Simon and Andrew, James and John to follow him. In the synagogue in Capernaum, he heals a man with an unclean spirit. He then heals Simon's mother-in-law. And in the evening, it's as if the whole town has gathered outside the home that he is staying in. And Jesus healed many who were sick. And then we come to today's passage. And we're going to see a number of things which Jesus does here. One of those things we can do. One of those things we cannot do. We're going to see that Jesus addresses his own need. Jesus addresses the physical needs of others again. And Jesus addresses the greatest need. Hear the word of God as found in Mark 1. And I remind you that this is God's inerrant, infallible word. Verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed and went out to a desolate place. And there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. And they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that is why I came out. And he went through all Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. First, we see that Jesus addresses his own need. Certainly, we know that Jesus in his divine nature has no need outside of himself, for he is God. Yet we see that Jesus in his humanity needed time alone with the Father. He had been healing and the masses were already coming to him. And he went where it was desolate and quiet for the purpose of praying. The language would show that this was an earnest praying, probably for hours. I mentioned that we would see one thing which Jesus did, which we also can do. If Jesus needed time to pray, to be alone, to meditate, how much more do we need that? The essence of prayer is that it shows our dependence on someone greater than ourselves. We cannot figure out life all by ourselves. 
And so throughout scriptures, we see people going to God in prayer, even Jesus. We could say that a need we have is prayer, but it is not our greatest need as we will see. When he finds Jesus, Simon tells him, everyone is looking for you. Simon was thinking that surely Jesus would return to Capernaum and preach and heal more. But Jesus does not want to go back to Capernaum yet, where the crowds already knew him. And so Jesus says to Simon, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. He came out somehow to prepare himself to minister in the coming places, teaching and healing. In thinking about ourselves, we can take this as a clue that we need to spend time with God alone before we go out to minister to and love others. Time with God strengthens us and encourages us to love boldly those who cross our paths and are in need. Let's see what happens next as Jesus is going throughout Galilee and healing. Jesus addresses the physical needs of others once again. Hear God's word in verse 40. And a leper came to him, imploring him, and kneeling, said to him, If you will, you can make me clean. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand, and he touched him, and said to him, I will be clean. Let's talk about leprosy in that day for just a minute. It was a horrid disease in which the skin was literally rotting away. There would be disfigurement and pain. A leper lost not only his health, but also probably his family and his friends. It was contagious, and those with leprosy had to stay outside the city walls. And if anyone approached anywhere near them, they would scream out, unclean, unclean, to keep the others at a distance and to keep them safe. Think about us. If we're in a group and someone were to say, um, hey, just want everybody to know that I have pink eye. We would move a little bit away from that person. Think about leprosy and watch Jesus. This leper approached Jesus and he kneels down in humility. And even though Jesus had moved to a new town, this leper knew who he was and that he had the power to heal. The leper had faith and he says, if you will, you can heal me. Jesus, to the shock of the bystanders, stretched out his hand. He touched him and said, I will be clean. Jesus is not afraid to touch the sick one. Hear God's word in verse 42, and immediately the leprosy left him, and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a proof to them. Now, why in the world does Jesus tell him to go and show himself to the priest? This was the normal procedure, actually, if a leper were cured. He would go and he would show himself to the priest according to the law of Moses. 
and it would involve two clean birds. One bird would have to shed its blood and the other bird was released to go free. Then the priest would act as a kind of health inspector to certify and declare that the individual had indeed been healed and was clean and therefore he could be integrated back into mainstream society. Well, why in the world does Jesus tell this man not to tell others? Scripture doesn't tell us why, yet many think it is that Jesus was not wanting to be known as the miracle worker. He would rather be known as the one proclaiming the good news. So what does this cleansed leper do? Verse 45, he went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. This man who had been healed went out and he could not keep quiet. He was telling everyone with the result being that Jesus was being mobbed. You and I would have probably been right there in the mob. People came probably for lots of reasons. Some were curious, some to hear Jesus, and some for healing. One author suggests that maybe it was that people wanted what Jesus provided, healing, more than they wanted Jesus. Now that thought alone causes me to want to get along and ponder, do I want Jesus or do I want what he provides? What about you? Last week, Chuck told us about Jesus having influence and power to call men to follow him. Then Jesus had influence and power and told an unclean spirit to leave a man, and it did. Then he had influence and power to heal Simon's mother-in-law. We just saw his influence and power to heal the leper. But now as we begin chapter two, we see that Jesus has even greater influence and power. He goes beyond what is seen and addresses the greatest need. We will find out soon what that is. Remember that Jesus had been in Capernaum. Now, when you see a map of Israel, most of us orient ourselves by the Dead Sea and then the Sea of Galilee, and of course to the west is the Mediterranean. Jerusalem and Bethlehem are just west of the Dead Sea. And the Sea of Galilee, there in the north, and along the western coast, you will find the city of Capernaum. And a little further to the west of that is Nazareth, which we know a lot about. Capernaum itself overlooks the Sea of Galilee, where Jesus was first preaching in the synagogue and healing. The remains of a synagogue still stand right in Capernaum today. And it's in Capernaum that Jesus had gone out to the desolate place to pray. And that is where Simon had found him. And Jesus then went around all of Galilee healing. And you see the province of Galilee there circled in green. And now he returns to Capernaum. And we find him not in a synagogue, but in a home. Hear God's word, chapter two. And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home and many were gathered together so that 
there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So Jesus is preaching in this home. There's a man who cannot get to Jesus by himself. The friends of the sick man cannot get into the house because of the crowds. So they do what anyone would do and they chop a hole in the roof. Can you imagine opening a hole in the roof had to be noisy and messy and it had to take some time. And then here comes a stretcher with a man being lowered. In our culture, we will never experience someone being let down through the roof. I do remember, however, my shock at a funeral a number of years back as I was preaching. Midway through my talk, I heard this strange sound, <gasps> sort of like that. It was this weird moan, and I was looking around trying to figure it out. When midway back in the center aisle, a man stood up and he fell out into the aisle. Now, I'm at a funeral and I am thinking, one at a time, please. <laughs> I stopped and I prayed and I went down to the family on the front row and told them what was happening. And literally within three minutes, the first responders were there and they carried the man out into the hospital and we carried on. Um, the man survived and all was well. Let's talk about these friends for a few minutes. What amazing friends they were. These friends have faith. And in a minute, we will see that Jesus saw their faith and responded to it. These friends were all in because they were convinced that Jesus could help. They are carrying their friend in need to Jesus. Good friends will go to great lengths to help a friend in need. Our faith certainly implies a personal relationship, but it is not private. It is meant to be experienced in community. And that's why we talk so much about being in community and the need for that here at Orangewood. This passage does not tell us to be a friend. It shows us what a friend does. Some of you remember in 2011, Firefighter Shannon Stone takes his six-year-old son to a Texas Rangers baseball game, and his goal was to sit in the first row in the outfield and to catch a ball for his son. In the second inning, outfielder Josh Hamilton, who was the reigning American League MVP, he retrieved a foul ball, and the fans were screaming for the ball, and Hamilton tossed the ball up into the stands and the six foot three Shannon Stone was going to catch it for his son. And as he reached for the ball, he tumbled over the railing. He plunged 20 feet and tragically it resulted in his death. A week later, there was a memorial service for Shannon Stone. And a few hours later, the major league home run derby was taking place in Phoenix when another fan fell over the railing. Two men fall out of the bleachers within a week of each other. The first one died. What about the second man? 
Prince Fielder stepped up to bat. The ball was hit right toward fan Keith Carmichael. He stretched and he fell. His friends were close enough to grab him. Brother Craig later said, I was looking at the home run and saw my brother fall and couldn't believe it was happening. But I grabbed his arm and I wasn't letting go. That's a brother's love, he said. The paralytic had friends who were not letting go. You and I need friends who will not let go. And you and I need to be friends who will not let go. Two questions for you. Who carried you to Jesus? Think of your story. I have a friend who just last week said to a group of men that it was his wife who carried him to Jesus. She grabbed hold and would not let go. And God has done such an amazing, beautiful work in both of them. Second question, whom are you carrying to Jesus? Do you, do you have a friend who needs you? They may not even know it, but grab hold and don't let go. Friends carry friends to Jesus, who is the ultimate friend, and he will never let go. Okay, let's finally answer the question. What's the greatest need which we have? Jesus addresses this greater need. In verse five, he says, and when Jesus saw their faith, he said to them, he said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts, why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? What did the men want from Jesus? Surely they wanted their friend to be healed. But Jesus does something very different. He says, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine the man's response or that of the friends? Well, thanks, but you know, he's paralyzed. Can you do something about that? The man who was paralyzed thought that if he were just healed, then he would be happy and content that life's problems would be just fine. In our lives, we can think the very same way, can't we? But Jesus is dealing with first things first. Jesus was communicating that the man had a much bigger problem than his health. He had a sin problem. The greatest need was not his physical healing. The greatest need was for forgiveness. Friends, the same is true for us. Jesus goes deeper and he deals with the real heart issues in our lives. Jesus does the unexpected. He says, your sins are forgiven and it incites the religious leaders. They believe that Jesus is blaspheming and the leaders were right in thinking that only God can forgive sins. What they missed was that God in flesh was standing right there before them. This is so cool. Mark Nix, two weeks ago, told us that the gospel of Mark reveals to us who Jesus is by his actions and by people's reaction to him. This passage is telling us who Jesus is by his actions and his words. He's not saying that he is God, but rather by pronouncing 
that forgiveness is granted, he tells us exactly who he is. Only God can forgive sins like that. We can pray like Jesus, but we cannot forgive like Jesus. There is only one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. Surely, we're called to forgive each other, and we must forgive as we have been forgiven. But our forgiveness is not a forgiveness that gives the other person salvation or eternal life. That is a forgiveness that only Jesus can grant as he is the one who lived a perfect life and gave his life in our place. He paid our price. Listen as we continue in verse eight. And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Who can perceive the questions and thoughts of others like this but God himself? And then the question, which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk? I could say to you, your sins are are forgiven. And who can argue with that? You cannot see it. But Jesus, in essence, says, believe that I can forgive and continues, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Jesus shows who he is. God himself, the one who has authority to heal, the one who has authority to forgive. The story is told of King Louis XII of France as he shows us what to do with hurts and injustices. When Charles VIII was king, he constantly was mistreating Louis so that he was fearful for his very life. And after a time, Louis came to the throne and all the aides advised him to take revenge on all the people who had surrounded the former king. And soon it became known throughout the land that Louis had indeed drawn up a list of his enemies and that beside each name, he had drawn a small red cross. <clears throat> Assuming that revenge was coming their way, the enemies began to flee. And when King Louis heard of their fleeing, he summoned a special session of the court to explain the meaning of the red crosses. And he said this to his subjects, be content and do not fear. The cross which I drew by your name is not a sign of punishment, but a pledge of forgiveness and a seal for the sake of the crucified Savior who upon his cross forgave all his enemies, prayed for them and blotted out the handwriting that was against them. Whatever else could be said of King Louis, good or bad, it certainly could be said that he knew how to forgive. Jesus does not write our names and put a small red cross next to them. Jesus experienced a bloody cross, accomplishing our forgiveness. And next to our names might be an empty cross and an empty tomb. Jesus granted forgiveness. He met our greatest need. Well, what's the big deal with forgiveness? 
We all know that relationships work better when forgiveness is in play. Simply put, we do hurt each other. We damage each other. We sin against the other one in our selfishness. Take this thought to our relationship with the holy God of the universe. By our sinful and selfish lives, we find ourselves separated from God himself, out of fellowship with our creator and the lover of our souls. We know that something is amiss and we cannot do anything to fix that relationship by ourselves. Jesus, the perfect one, enters in and he pays the price of our sin on the cross. Peace is made with God and Jesus takes on our sin. He also gives us his righteousness as a gift. Jesus bridges the gap in our relationship with God the Father and he accomplishes and he declares our righteousness before the Father. Something that amazing could only be accomplished by God. And the Lord Jesus, Son of God, has accomplished just that so that as forgiven people, we could live in peace. We could experience true joy. We could walk in freedom. The burden of our sin is released. We are free to love and be loved. Some here think that you are unlovable. That may be the biggest lie the Satan has ever told you. You are loved and cherished. He knows you by name. We sang that. Believe it. Let others in to love you. Let God have his way. Being forgiven is your greatest need. Rest in that. Relax. You are forgiven and cherished. Many of you know the name Johnny Erickson Tata, quadriplegic, Injured in her teens nearly 50 years ago, amazing artist and author, follower of Jesus. She said this, my wheelchair was the key to seeing all this, especially since God's power always shows up best in weakness. So here I sit, glad that I have not been healed on the outside, but glad that I have been healed on the inside healed from my self-centered wants and wishes. Friends, the beauty of forgiveness. In closing, do you see yourself as the leper of our story today in need of healing, spiritual healing for your sin? Johnny Erickson taught on another occasion. She speaks of the leper and she actually ties the story of the leper to the issue of forgiveness so beautifully you would have thought that she would say this about the paralytic, but it's the leper. Listen to what she says. Our approach to God should be like the lepers. He came humbly before Jesus. If we are to come to Jesus, we must humble ourselves. We must acknowledge our own uncleanness before him. We may not have an incurable skin disease, but we have an incurable sin disease. And only Christ can cleanse us. We must acknowledge our sin and separation from God. The leper was quarantined from society. Our sin quarantines us from God. It separates us from him. And she says, if we do not come to Jesus by faith, 
then we will finally and eternally be separated from God in hell. Would you come humbly to Jesus today? Would you come by faith, believing that Jesus, the great physician, can cleanse you and make you well? Brothers and sisters, if you've never done that, is today the day? Come and talk to me or grab another friend after church. Can you see yourself as the leper? Or do you see yourself as the paralytic in need of being restored, dead in trespasses and sin and in need of new life? I hope you do. For you have a Savior who forgives. The leper went out and he just had to tell everyone what Jesus did. The paralytic, we're told, rose in verse 12 and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. May we shout it that we have a savior who loves to forgive. Not long before she died, Marconita Lasky, an avowed atheist, and well-known secular humanist and novelist told an interviewer, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. I have nobody to forgive me. Ever thought about it? An atheist has no one who can forgive them. We have Jesus. This amazed everyone and they praised God saying, we have never seen anything like this. What a friend we have in Jesus. Jesus changes everything. Let us pray. Father, Son, and Spirit, together you have worked in our lives, and we praise you this day for saying to us that our sins are forgiven because of the work of Jesus on the cross. We bow humbly before you and ask that you would continue to bring healing to each of us. Grant us grace to carry each other to Jesus and even when needed to be carried ourselves. We love you. What a friend we have in Jesus. Amen.